0: At the time. We all remember being a teenager, right? Well, I do for sure. I remember probably more of it than anybody has any business remembering. And it's kind of a fragile spot to be in. You're just kind of this random mix of familiar and new emotions, constantly battling whatever habits and tendencies you had growing up and feeling like you need to change them, but you don't really know how you're supposed to change them. It's like you're just this little confused ball of potential that is torn between the comfort of childhood and the uncertainty of becoming the ultimate version of yourself. It's a tall order, but it's something that we all ultimately have to deal with to varying degrees of success. But no matter how scary it is, it's also kind of fascinating. That feeling of not really knowing how your life is going to turn out. It's a constant state of being at war with yourself. And I don't think there's an album that really captures that time in my life better than The Changing of Times by Under Oath. It helps that I first discovered this band as a teenager, so either this is some really profound comparison or it's just absolute nostalgia bias, but I definitely like to think of the Changing of Times era of Under Oath as teenage Under Oath. But this album, while I definitely love it to pieces, can feel like it's at war with itself. And in this video, I'm gonna at least try to halfway explain why I feel that way. I'm Daniel Terry, and welcome back to DFT's dungeon. Chapter one, the fickle art of discovery. I first discovered Under Oath on a message board back in 2001. And by discovered them, I mean, I went into this Christian metal message board. It was probably on AOL or something like that. And I proclaimed to the world how much I loved POD and how they were my absolutely favorite metal band. And I was very quickly corrected and had about 15 band names thrown in my direction and was told that these were real metal bands. I mean, they weren't. And one of those band's names was Underoath. And now in 2001, the only way a 15 year old kid was gonna get an Under Oath record was, well, you know, steal it. So I, I loaded up my favorite music stealing program on my Windows Millennium Edition desktop computer and I tried to download a song called A Love So Pure. And when I saw that the song was over 10 minutes long and that it was going to take me several hours to download it on a 56K dial-up modem, I kind of just gave up and went and played video games for a while and I forgot all about it. And it's funny to look back on because out of those 15 bands that were mentioned to me in that message board, about 10 of them actually ended up becoming some of my favorite bands of all time. After that experience, I didn't end up hearing about Under Oath again until about, uh, I don't know, about six months later. See, when I first heard about them, the changing of times wasn't even out yet. It was actually hearing about a band called Dead Poetic and their album, Four Wall Blackmail, that came out in March of 2002. And when I finally got that CD, I remember going back to those message boards to talk about it, and I was informed that if I liked Dead Poetic and I didn't mind just a little bit more screaming, a lot more screaming, that I should check out Under Oath. And by that time, The Changing of Times was out. And back then, the way bands released singles was by offering them up on a website called Hardcore.com or HXC.com. And you could download kind of maybe like two or three songs from any given band at the time. So I was happy to see that the song When the Sun Sleeps was a much smaller download than I had attempted just a few months prior. And it turned out that it could not have been a more perfect introduction to the band. The opening guitar strum and keyboard bips and boops sounded fresher than a cold cucumber in my ears at that age. And I'm not entirely sure what I was expecting to hear, honestly, I just had started dabbling with heavier music at the time and by the time dallas started screaming over the song and aaron's clean vocals kicked in i was completely blown away this was that perfect mix of singing and screaming that i had liked about dead poetic when i found out about them and it was bands like that that were more slowly easing me into heavier music and i'll admit that the first time i heard dallas's screaming it was a little bit off-putting to me because his scream was really similar to what Brandon Reich was doing in Dead Poetic. And the vocals on the Dead Poetic album had kind of more of a processed sound to them. They sounded really full and complete. And by comparison, Dallas's voice sounded thinner to my ears. Looking back on it, it's obviously just a difference in how the records were mixed. And But I mean, I, I didn't really know that at the time. I didn't really have a very discerning ear back then, you know, or now. But the use of clean vocals, keyboards, melodic guitar, and passionate screams was a pretty great mix for a 16 year old boy at the time. So from that moment on, I was officially an Under Oath fan. <laughs> In my talk about Bless the Martyr and Kiss the Child by Norma Jean from last week, you might've caught that I actually bought this album and that Norma Jean album on the same day at One Way Christian Bookstore. And the difference with this one though, is that I had actually heard a song off of this album already. So I halfway already knew kind of what to expect. However, I was totally wrong because this record wasn't really what I was expecting at all. And that wasn't a bad thing, but I mean, it was different. But let's take a break from talking about me for a couple of minutes because I'm sure you guys really just want to hear me talk about Underoath. As is probably common knowledge by now, Underoath began as a Christian metalcore band back in the year of our Lord, 1997, when they were still in high school. And the only person in the band at the time that you might recognize is their drummer, Aaron Gillespie, who's the only current member from the band's original lineup because. This just wouldn't be an Under Oath video if I didn't talk about... Oh my god, guys, this band has barely any members anymore. Guys, hey, 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 did you know that Under Oath's first album wasn't the changing of times? Did you you guys know that they used to be like black metal? Where where are you guys going? (laughs) Now that that essential information has been disseminated, I'm going to talk about Active Depression and Cries of the Past a little bit. Active Depression is a really weird listen because it's basically the primordial ooze version of Under Oath. And while very heavy and representative of metalcore in 1999, it's one of the hardest Under Oath records to listen to. Dallas's vocals are pretty rough to listen to when compared to later albums and his screams sometimes end in this sort of whining sound that just never really grew on me over the years. And the songs are all pretty long. They're like in the six minute range with a couple of songs that are over 10 minutes long. And they're full of just random screaming and chunky riffs and just sort of these like long atonal passages. And like Primordial Ooze, they're kind of just all over the place. The weird bass intro in the title track, for some reason, just never makes me want to finish that song. Bye, so much and the song's like super long, so it's like you hear that bass intro and then you're like, oh god, I've got eight more minutes to this. And the lyrics seem downright childish on this album, which is forgivable considering they were in fact written by children but definitely give it a listen for the history but the definitive old school under Oath album you should listen to first is cries of the past and it fares a lot better overall everything on this album was tightened up and the album has this really unified sound from beginning to end and that unified sound was guitar and keyboard driven blackened metalcore See, Dallas's vocals are super high, and they have an almost black metal level of high-pitchedness to them, high-pitchedness. So you throw some keyboards and some melodic riffs on top of that, and they may have genuinely passed at that time for a melodic death metal band. And it's no secret that I love Cries of the Past, and it's super, super long songs. They cram a mind-boggling amount of riffs into this 11-minute song called, And I Dreamt of You, and I'm totally here for it. The keys sound great, vocals sound great, the drumming is much tighter than it was on Act of Depression, and you even get a few really cool solos thrown in there from time to time. And this was an absolutely stellar progression from Act of Depression in every way. The perfect follow-up. And the only reason I'm talking about these albums is you kind of have to have them in mind to better be able to explain why The Changing of Times really stands out from the pack and why I related to it so genuinely at the time. Chapter two, sick from the mirror. So now it's time to do the damn thing that I like doing and actually talk about the album that's in the title of the video directly. The Changing of Times is at war with itself because it can't decide what it wants to be. And I'll try to elaborate on that with this little song breakdown. And by little song breakdown, if you guys watched the last video, it's not like a little song breakdown. We're gonna go through every single song. So, When the Sun Sleeps is a very strong opener and is probably front-loaded with the best example of what I think this band wants us to think they sound like. If the first album you ever heard by Underoath was They're Only Chasing Safety, then you're gonna be right at home with When the Sun Sleeps. The strumming guitar and keyboard combo at the beginning hooked me right away, and then you get a flurry of high-pitched shrieks over melodic riffs, and Aaron's clean singing overlaid over most of the song. This is the under oath that we all know, or at the very least, it's the first sign of it. The first thing that drew me to this song was its sense of immediacy and energy and how it is expertly mixed with heartbreaking and emotional lyrics that just have that very Christian band tinge of hope at the end. Maybe love will find us again for there is always tomorrow. And it's a song about trying to move on from the comfort of the past and putting to rest all of the internalized pain that goes with it. And this was the kind of record that I was expecting to go into the first time I listened to it. They even made a video for this song at Sloss Furnace Historical Landmark, which you might know better as the location of Furnace Fest in Birmingham, Alabama. And a couple of takeaways from the video. Number one, I love the fact that they put a lot of effort into making an actual narrative video that matched the lyrics of the song. Literally, it has a guy standing outside with a shovel, ready to dig the grave that Dallas is screaming about in the lyrics. And as a matter of fact, the guy even looks behind him almost as if he heard Dallas screaming those words. And a small shout-out goes to Aaron's family eye care t-shirt. When I was 16, I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And did you ever notice that at the end of the song, you see shots of the band playing, and they're just running around kicking each other? And this is one of the first videos I ever watched on mp4.com, if anybody remembers mp4.com. Kind of hard to believe YouTube didn't start until, like, what, 2005? And going into Letting Go of Tonight, the band actually dials up the energy level quite a bit on this song. But it's a more straightforward song with no clean singing, but still maintains the melodic riffing and tortured shrieking and those bittersweet lyrics that ultimately have a positive resolution injected into them. It's not until we get into a message for Adrian that the album has its first identity crisis. The song starts off with some distorted talking and keyboard sounds and then transitions into a very active depression style song, and even drops some guttural death growls in there for good measure, before again transitioning into a very cries of the past style riff. Then the song just sort of comes to a halt and plays this super terrifying, almost insectoid sounding noise. It always made me super uncomfortable whenever I would listen to it. I think it's really cool now, but it's definitely unnerving the first time. And then they slam right back into Act of Depression land for a few more seconds before finally breaking up again with some more clean yells. And from here, the band remembers which album they're playing. And they go into this more kind of melodic, almost indie rock sounding riff, which carries a lot of the rest of the song, with a little bit of tremolo picking thrown in there from time to time. It's just a total tone shift for the record, and I I love it. The lyrics also weave a really depressing story about a boy who's in love with a girl named Adrian. But because his love is not reciprocated, he decides to end it all in his early 20s. 23, to, to be exact, according to the song. However, the twist is that Adrian did, in fact, love him, but she was afraid of opening up to him because she was afraid of him finding out something about her that he wouldn't love. But since he was already gone, she wasn't ever able to express that love to him. And the song goes on to say that she grew old as a widow and never found love again. The song ends with the words, time favors no one. And if we wait, we too can fall in love. A second too late. And it's a very emotionally and musically heavy song that is almost a little too heavy-handed. One interpretation is that it's just a really poetic song and it tells a tragic love story. But on the other hand, it also seems to be vying for something else. And what I mean by that is my junior year in high school, I remember I was talking to this girl a lot, but I was like way too nervous to tell her that I was interested in her. So we kind of just kept hanging out and not really talking about it. So one day I wrote her this note at school, because that's what we did before we had cell phones. We just wrote each other notes on like notebook paper. And I included the lyrics to this song as a not so subtle way to indicate my interest in her. And it was those final lines about how we two could fall in love a second too late that did not go over very well with her. And um, well, we didn't talk too much again after that, but she told me before she stopped talking to me that it was just a really weird thing to write in a note and that it seemed more like emotional manipulation. And now obviously my intent wasn't to be emotionally manipulative. I just had these feelings in me that were new and they were a lot bigger than I was. And I thought I was just being honest and expressive. And I think even musically, this song reflects that. Because while Under Oath is going for a more listener-pleasing sound on the first two songs, they're still creatively apt to rely on tried and true methods from the past. And I think that's why we start hearing hints of active depression and cries of the past pop up on this song. Because no matter how much you want to change, you can't change instantly. And sometimes people can still get glimpses of the person that you were before you started making those changes. And before you jump into the comments and tell me that the musical change was really just because the band had some member changes between the two old albums, like I, I know that. Just just bear with me. I'm I'm doing a thing here. From an emotional standpoint of starting to be self-aware and trying to grow up, it can be easy to fall into those old habits. And the next song, Never Meant to Break Your Heart, addresses that concept head on. The first minute and 50 seconds of the song build up is mostly instrumental, but then they break and you hear Dallas say, sick from the mirror, before the expected flurry of screams and tremolo picking breaks that silence. Sick from the mirror. Then they transitioned into a more like playful indie rock style riff, but despite that small flurry of heaviness, this song stays mostly down tempo, with a huge emotional swell accompanied by a piano at the end. And the song features a lot of Dallas talking and shrieking, and he's particularly focused on how much he hates himself, and how much he has failed as a person. He's taken inventory of all of his flaws and the very thought of facing himself in the mirror makes him absolutely sick. And coupled with that is the frustration of feeling like every time you don't live up to you or other people's expectations, that you're some kind of total failure especially whenever you introduce religion into the mix and the total number of things that you can fail at increases exponentially. Like I talked about my Dead Poetic episode in season one, for those of us who were part of that culture as teenagers, we found ourselves feeling a lot more guilt at a young age than the rest of our peers. And I think honestly, it was the most relatable song for me when this album came out because it almost seemed like I would never get a real break from considering myself a failure. It was something new every day. And instead of going home from school and playing video games or talking to my friends on the phone, I would just sit there and listen to this depressing music and cry about how I was never gonna truly change. And then my every action was just another burden on the world and really is probably relatable for anyone in that age group because we want so desperately to be taken seriously and appear competent to everyone around us. And yet we all have these rough edges that have not really been sanded off. So for a time, we'll pretend like those edges aren't there. But when that illusion is broken, our reaction can be visceral and devastating to us. It's an all too familiar side effect of being constantly at war with yourself. The song resolves with Dallas stating that his heart never did him any good on his own and that he wants to hand it over to Jesus to make better use of it. It's funny to me how they try to throw a positive spin on some of these songs, but that spin isn't really too positive if you really think about it. Plus, there's the double-edged sword of being afraid to say how you really feel about something without using any spiritual terminology, lest you greatly upset your rapidly growing fan base, who will expect you to address spiritual topics, and often. And honestly, I was part of that fan base. It worked on me as well, because when I heard this song in 2002 and I heard him talk about giving his heart to Jesus, I was like, hell yeah, Dallas, I'm with you. And you know what? I'm still with you. And if you're still with me, now would be a really great time to subscribe to the podcast and the channel. The title song, The Changing of Times, is up next, and it opens with some sugary sweet keyboard notes, melodic guitar, clean vocals, and Dallas talking over all of it. And this is another more smoothed out kind of song, more like When the Sun Sleeps, but it kind of lacks the hookiness that comes with that song. That said, it's a very emotional song. I mean, they, they all kind of are, with some of my favorite screams from Dallas so far in this record. The biggest difference is, is that at this point on the album, the songs are going to heavily alternate between more melodic stuff and the more brutal, like old school, under oath type of songs, which really keeps up the theme of a record that has two sides of it constantly vying for dominance. However, it's the lack of uniformity that makes it so relatable and therefore profound. While the band would later smooth out their approach considerably, it's that unpredictable energy of the songs that feels super creatively fulfilling to me. On the emotional side of the spectrum, this song seems to be about the heartbreak of either losing a loved one or going through a difficult breakup. And I'm not actually sure because I've heard conflicting things over the years as to whether or not the whole car crash and his fiance dying events detailed in cries of the past are actually factual accounts or just a very creative theme that was cooked up for that album i honestly don't remember which one's true but you'll occasionally see some old comments on songmeetings.com that'll indicate some connection with the events of this song and the ones from cries of the past let me know in the comments if you have any info on that because i'm genuinely interested to know and since I just got done talking about unpredictability, let's talk about the anomaly of Angel Below. At this point in the record, a palate cleanser wasn't necessary, but it's absolutely welcome in this case. Angel Below is a straightforward metal song that builds into one of the most infectious keyboard driven songs I've ever heard in my life. The first minute and a half of this song are pure euphoria. Which is frustrating because the remaining half of the song just dips into like standard metalcore for the time and it ends up sounding more like something from Active Depression than the first half of the song did. And while they tease it, they never actually return to that infectious keyboard driven section. The song ends on more of a down note, and I'm not totally sure what happened here, but I have to admit that when I'm listening to this song, I'll frequently just skip to the next song after that first minute and a half. That said, it's still another great example of what I've been talking about this whole time, where the band seems interested in trying new things, but will sometimes backtrack into something more familiar for them and for their audience. Lyrically, it's one of the more interesting songs because it's basically a hate letter to the devil. He's calling out all of the bad things that have happened in his life, and he's attributing them to a single evil force, and he vents his rage in a triumphant fashion. I'm sure it was very cathartic for him to write, and definitely not a bad song by any means, but it's just kind of a real head scratcher on the first listen. Best of Me comes in next with a fresh beat and light guitar that honestly feels like a summer day I- until all the shrieking comes in, and then we're and then we're back in Under Oath Land. This song stays light and breezy until at the one minute and 52 seconds mark they play my favorite breakdown on the entire album. It's just a melodically dissonant and emotionally wrenching experience. <laughs> To die to die. lyrically it's about what this whole album's about it's about moving on from past heartbreak and struggling with the concept of change just in case you thought that the title the changing of times was just a clever name and with a lot of bands i would probably start criticizing them at this point for sort of repeating lyrical themes but if i'm trying to make the case that this band is having some kind of inner battle then this really makes sense because like any good battle this one is rife with victories and defeats short of daybreak open strong and powerful it's another emotional mid-paced song with a sick breakdown where the drums sound like jackhammers and that's not like hyperbole they they literally sound like a jackhammer I'm in regard to the lyrics this song would seem to heavily imply the loss of a fiance as described by several of Underoath's older songs. And again, I can't confirm or deny whether those events actually took place, but I can confirm that the emotions that well up when I listen to this song are very real. We've all lost somebody close to us, and it's a scar that never truly goes away. The last real song on this album is Alone in December and it was a go-to for me when I would drive home from band practice late at night with the windows down. Extra points for this one starting off with just drums which is just something that I love. And this is a slower paced song than the rest and it features a lot of Dallas just talking over the music. This song is all about that emotional swell that this album has been trying so hard to craft this entire time. Lyrically, it seems to be about a bitter realization that somebody that you deeply loved, has abandoned you either through malice or by circumstance and how the author wants to get over it and move on but can still sometimes find himself stuck in the past and being held back by the pain and uncertainty of the future. On a personal note this song was really important to me when I was in high school because I was obsessed with this girl and I spent almost every hour of every day pursuing her and just getting nowhere with it. It was especially frustrating because I felt like she was constantly leading me on whatever that means. Hanging out with me multiple times per week and calling me all the time and so when i was particularly upset about it i would jam this song and mentally twist the words to match my exact situation and obviously as an adult it seems really stupid teenage guys especially sometimes have a hard time grasping that the world doesn't revolve around them and that other people's feelings are just as valid as their own so Just because my feelings didn't always line up with her feelings didn't make the things that she did that I didn't like some kind of malicious act against me but i mean that's just what hindsight will tell you after years and years of acting like a douchebag and not being able to figure out you know why people didn't want to talk to you the final song 814 stops today is a 48 second keyboard instrumental since it doesn't have any words i'm just gonna say that it's a good song and a nice outro to the record and if you need a meaning attached to it just imagine it's about delivering pizzas and getting 814 orders in a single day chapter three one hundred thank yous. There's no real way to quantify what this album did for Underoath. On one hand, it was a painful and necessary bridge between Cries of the Past and They're Only Chasing Safety, a bridge that longtime fans probably wish that they hadn't crossed. And trust me, I'm a meathead i totally get it i really do and it's funny how our perspectives change as times go on see when this album came out the hundreds of under oath fans that existed were kind of iffy on it because of the singing and the more quote-unquote emo parts were starting to creep their way into the sound and then when they're only chasing safety came out suddenly the changing of times became a 10 out of 10 all-time record in the eyes of some of those same fans because the change to safety was perceived as super drastic but i honestly don't think that it is if you listen you can definitely hear the bones of chasing safety and modern under oath. and I'll leave it up to you to decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing in my case this was the first album that I ever heard from the band so I instantly thought that it was amazing and I still mostly feel that way sure after I'd had the album for a little while I did go back and I was able to listen to act of depression and the cries of the past and I did actually find myself drifting more towards cries of the past than anything I mean, hell, my old AOL screen name was literally Cries From My Past. When I heard that album, I just couldn't get enough of it, but that's a story for another episode. I remember proudly carving the word under oath into my English binder in high school and reading their lyrics in speech class. Like I talked about in my Norma Jean video last week, I felt this kind of weird ownership over the changing of times. And part of that was just because of how unpalatable it was for other people to listen to. No matter what anybody says, if you got into loud, screamy hardcore when you were a teenager, you liked to put that music on in front of people just to get a reaction out of them. And Norma Jean and Underoath were always my go-to for that. In my senior year of high school, I started dating the girl who would eventually become my wife. She's, um, She's right there. And one of the first things I showed her when she came over to my house was the music video for When the Sun Sleeps. And I was like, yeah, how do you feel about that? And luckily, she said she thought it was pretty cool, not necessarily her thing, but she liked that I liked it so much, right? That's the, that's always the diplomatic answer. Blaine! Marty, that was very interesting music. I, uh, yeah. And that same year, she ended up getting a job at our local library and she was responsible for ordering music for the CD section of the library. And she actually ordered a copy of The Changing of Times by Under Oath. And so it was so funny walking in there and seeing The Changing of Times sitting between like Bach and Beethoven and like movie soundtracks and stuff like that. It was really just an album that I felt really met me where I was at the time. With the Norma Jean album, that represented what I wanted to be, but Under Oath really met me where I actually was at the time. And it felt good to know that I wasn't the only person who struggled with sometimes hating myself. and. I wasn't the only person who felt disgusting when I didn't measure up to everyone else's expectations. This album embodies the painful transitionary period between being a teenager and becoming an adult. Because like this album, when you're a teenager, you're just figuring out what changes you need to make to match the constantly shifting world around you. But it can sometimes be really easy to stumble And kind of return back to the way things were before you started making changes and I think this album does a great job of not fully committing to either outcome it simultaneously moves forward while still keeping an eye on the past this album contains all of the elements that the band would carry on to great success just a few years later but at the time nobody knew what the future was gonna look like and so The band going to war with itself through sounds and emotional themes created this really cool hidden potential for what the future would one day hold. Maybe some of us grew up and became that idealized version of ourselves, or we continued on as the same person for years after. Or, you know, some unique combination of the two, but we all experienced that uncertain transitionary phase in our lives. And just like the changing of times, it's always fun to revisit that period of our lives and speculate about how many different directions our lives could possibly have taken and the limitless potential that we all still have. And that's it for this one, guys. Thank you guys so much. I'm Daniel Terry. Sub to the channel or the podcast. Check out all my audio-only episodes of DFT's Dungeon. And get ready for more videos like this one. I'll see you next time. Bye.